Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Links and Locks Podcast. Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. This is your 2024 Mexico Open at Vidanta betting preview, along with Nick Fretwish and Spencer Aguiar. I'm Roberto Arguello. Thanks for tuning into our show this week. We're going to get right into it as we are down in Puerto Vallarta this week on the PGA Tour, playing at Viranta Vallarta. Nick, great to have you back this week. I know you're in the midst of the basketball playoffs. What is your best bet for the Mexico Open this week? I'm going with a boy we haven't talked about in a long time. Uh, I'm going with Matt Wall's top 20, where ties pay in full at plus 275. All right, going with Matt Wallace for the top 20. Spencer, what's your best bet this week? I think there's one of two ways to go here. So one route would be the basic answer of just fading Mackenzie Hughes, trying to find where, where you have matchups against him. I recommended Rio Hisatsune against him on Monday at Rotoballer. Unfortunately, that price drifted 25 to 30 points before we could air this show today. There's no point in giving out a stale number. So I, I'm obviously not going to give that as my best bet. I do think the natural pivot to that situation would probably be Austin Ekro minus 114 over Hughes. Uh, that's always my advice is to look to to take on the fade candidate rather than the one that I'm going to back. For me, I didn't necessarily want to go that route where I took my second favorite fade against Mackenzie Hughes. So I I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench and do something I don't normally do on this show. I'm going to say Ben Silverman to make the cut at minus 120 this week. Okay. Ben Silverman, not somebody whom a lot of people might be familiar with. So excited to hear your cap on him. I... Also, was not super in love with the betting board this week, so I'm going to go with an upside play as my best bet. Hit on one of these a couple weeks ago at plus 650, so we're going to go plus 600 on Vincent Norman for a top 10. I like him for some upside plays this week. We'll get into that in a little bit. First, let's hear why we're back in Matt Wallace in Mexico. So for me, again, you know, everybody's going to talk about distance, driving distance at this course, how much that matters, all that good stuff, but it's the updated ball striking for Matt Wallace. I think he's a high pedigree player who just had a really hard time making a putt over the past couple seasons. That putter is catching on fire. 
It's a guy I usually like to target at Augusta more on the DFS side of things. So I do like to see his form starting to trend in that direction, gaining strokes, ball striking over his past two events. Course history is not good. And I think that's what makes this price a little bit more inflated, especially when the market, you know, and a non-predictable course such as this, unless you're talking about Brandon Wu, I guess you just staple him into the top five for some <laughs> reason here. Um, and Cam Champ, because we're Spencer and I were talking about those two prior, just like there's no form trend. They just come here and it's only been twice, but just tear it up. Makes no sense to me. I will ride the recent form of Matt Wallace in a very, very watered down field. I think that this price should have been closer to plus 220, especially when ties paid in full. So I'm going to ride Matt Wallace here. All right. I like the swing with Matt Wallace. Spencer, why are you backing Ben Silverman this week? So I'll give the pros and cons here, Roberto, because I mean, as you said, we are talking about a player that maybe not a lot of people out there have heard about. So I want to talk about some of the reasons why my model didn't necessarily like him. And then I'm going to get into the reasons why it liked him and why they thought it had value. So Silverman essentially had two red flags that I could point toward for this tournament. He had a lack of distance that ranked him 93rd in this field for a course that's going to demand off the tee length. Like that's something that we know with 100% certainty. There's also a secondary win problem with his metrics. He doesn't necessarily thrive in these higher gusts, but I just think that we have a really nice value spot here to consider for a name that maybe not a lot of people know. And if you really pay attention to where some of these sharper movements in the market are occurring, Silverman starting to catch traction, whether that be in like the top Canadian market he's moved in a positive direction. If you look at some of his outright prices at some of these sharper shops, he's been moving down the board in that area. So seven of eight made cuts when you combine his PGA Tour and Corn Ferry starts since August. He also graded 14th in my model for expected scoring when he got courses that had minimal rough. That spiked some of those off the tee projections that initially hurt him in my sheet. And then it helped to propel him into an excellent value option throughout the board. As I said at the beginning, I wish the first Hughes fade hadn't moved so quickly, but I just didn't want to give the second best Hughes head-to-head -head bet when he'd already moved on the better one against his Satsune. So I do think both of those head-to-heads work, but I think for the sake of this show, minus 120 to make a, the cut here is a very intriguing proposition. I like it. Those ball striking numbers that we have tracked for him so far have been pretty stellar. So intrigued to see him play this week and Get a lot more data, not only on him, but on a bunch of these rookies on the PGA Tour. We we're speaking off air about how you want to look at some of the numbers for 175 and 200 yards, 200, 225 yards. And guys have like three to five approach shots on those distances. So it's frustrating when you just don't know how good these guys are, if they're outliers, whatever. Um, getting into my best bet this week, got a little bit more data on this guy, Vincent Norman. He won last year at the Barbasol Championship, and he is somebody whom fits the profile of a golfer I want to bet on this week in that he's long off the tee. He has very high ball speed, club head speed. He has upside from outside of 175 yards and he's a horrific putter. So hopefully we get a little lucky with the putter. These slower, stickier pass palum greens are going to be hopefully a neutralizer for players who have poor putting and ideally this helps Vincent Norman, but love that he's super long off the tee. Love that he has upside with his irons. Looking at his proximity numbers last year, where we actually have a decent sample size, he was 35th in proximity from 175 to 200 yards. He was also 22nd in proximity on approaches from outside of 200 yards. He was 23rd in strokes gained off the tee. So pretty solid off the tee. 
but he was more long than accurate. And with these 41 yard wide fairways, it's going to be less of an emphasis on driving accuracy because a lot more guys are going to hit the fairway. 17th in ball speed last year, 15th in club at, or sorry, this year in ball speed, he's 17th. And he's also 15th in club at speed this season. I like the upside that he has. He's not the safest play. He might not make the cut, but I think he, if he plays his best golf, he could win this tournament. And we'll have more on that in a little bit. Spencer also wanted to note that you did mention that you could bet against Mackenzie Hughes in our outrights article that we dropped on Monday. So hopefully if you're not familiar, we're having one article where we get everybody to give their best outright bet and Spencer sprinkled in a little extra knowledge for us on fading Mackenzie Hughes. So hopefully you got to look at that and you got a fade of him for the market move. Before we get into our best bets in a moment, let's break down the course at Vidanta Vallarta. Spencer, I'll hand you the tea. So we only have two iterations of this course to pull from on the PJ Tour. I, I do think that lack of data can sometimes be problematic just because you do get this preconceived notion that could start to form off of a very limited sample size worth of returns. It's kind of what you're talking about, Roberto, funny enough, to where even on these players, we have limited sample sizes of returns. And just what happens when you you take the overall blueprint here and you run it, like there's there's problems that occur. Now, the one thing I would say about this course, and I, and I usually would be more concerned with that factor, especially when you look at Vedanta here and these fields never really being that strong, I really don't know, though, Roberto, how you can look at this course and view it any differently than that public narrative that you're going to hear numerous times this week. You have wide open fairways, limited rough. All of that quickly turns this into a bomb and gouge setup that's going to reward second shot prowess from 175 plus yards. There are places you can't miss if you go incredibly wayward off the tee, but essentially golfers who can use their driver as a weapon will have as an will have an advantage in finding success. The first point to note for that answer does stem from that sticky pass ball and grass that you just talked about, Roberto. That removes some of the rollout from the equation. I think while the expected driving distance does see a 14-yard increase over expectation, that grass-type factor, mixed with the venue being played at sea level, really only further enhances the notion that you better be very comfortable with your a driver in your hand if you want to find success at this tournament. I do think length matters for that reason. It probably has more to do with that lack of rollout over anything else. Although the bigger situation comes into play when you realize a golfer can't out hit and shrink this track. So nearly 62% of second shots have occurred from beyond 175 yards over the past two years. That total landed over 22% above the PGA Tour average. Essentially, if you're short off the tee, you're going to struggle to produce birdies. If you're longer, you still need quality long iron play. It just starts you in a much different position. Like you're essentially starting on second base where if you're short, you're bunting down the fairway, which I guess would be the best example. I don't know why I decided to go with a baseball analogy there to break this down, but that's kind of the, the way I view this course. I think wind's going to play a factor anytime that you're sitting directly on water. That would be one of the items that I would continue to run nightly for in-tournament bets. You might be able to find an edge in some of those in-tournament head-to-heads, but at the end of the day, don't get this twisted. This is a ball strikers course. It's going to reward length. I think if you're trying to build a model uh, any differently than that answer, you're doing something exponentially wrong. So even if we only have two iterations to pull from, I feel very confident that there are all these outlier statistics that we get here that are just massively above the baseline projections elsewhere that I kind of know how Vedanta is going to play even with only two attempts here. 
I think that makes a lot of sense. You covered everything I was going to touch on. Nick, anything you'd like to add in our course preview? Vincent Norman to me checks every single box that Cam Champ does with maybe even more of an edge with a putter. I know it's kind of weird to say, especially when Cam Champ has lit up these greens, the past Palm Greens here, the past two times here. But uh, the rest of my card is pretty light. I did roll the dice on Maverick McNeely, top 20 ties in full. I was close with him or Matt Walsh for the best bet going into this show. I was going to have Maverick McNeely, but speaking to Spencer pre, uh, pre-record here, I switched over to Matt Walsh, but I do still like Maverick McNeely at top 20 at plus 240. I don't know if it's buying at the wrong time here. I still think that's a pretty high price or a long price for a guy of his pedigree. I'm worried that the ball striking is getting better and that's going to fall off a cliff like what we used to see from Maverick McNeely, but that was again when he was injured. So for me, I'm I'm betting on the pedigree with Maverick McNeely there. I think that when putts do matter a little bit here on these greens, I think I'd, I'd rather back someone that can light up the putting green. Obviously, his his distance is much improved. His ball striking is improved. And back to what we saw years ago prior to the injury. Um, and then I did take Eric Van Ruyen at 37 to 1 outright and Matt Wallace at 80 to 1. So a very light card for me with both top 20s on Maverick McNeely and Matt Wallace and outright on them both and then adding EVR in there. I was close to getting there at Michael Kim at 55 to 1. My numbers have him at 48 to 1. So he is one of the higher edges I have. I just think Michael Kim's more of like a a top 40 type of play for me, just safety if we can get him at like minus 120 or something like that. I think I would roll the dice there. I, I just worry about the upside with Michael Kim. So I, I do think the upside, like how you spoke about Vincent Norman, I think Matthew Wallace checks that box and is actually in good form. So Matt Wallace is probably just my guy this week and then fading Mackenzie Hughes because Spencer's been on a tear with these matchups. I love when he has that strong of a conviction leading into a tournament where it's just like, yeah, whatever you can find against Mackenzie Hughes, roll it. Um, so that'll probably be the rest of my card until we see how some of these rookies do. Judd, I'd love to get your take on a couple of them when we go t- through that part a little bit later, but that's, I think, what I'm most excited for is to see the Max Greisermans, the Mac Meisner, um, Chandler Phillips. I know we've seen him a bit with that mustache on TV, but those are the guys I'm really looking forward to, to, to uh, seeing and getting more data on this week. Yeah, one of the cool parts about having the new designated event or signature event model is that if you're not into those signature events, everybody wants to play in the Sony Open this year. Everybody wants to play in the American Express. But unfortunately, that just meant that there haven't been as many starts available for the rookies. And so these guys haven't gotten to play. And now when everybody else is taking off this week to get to Florida next week, they have to play and they just don't have much data behind their behind their few starts so far so very interested to see how these guys do when we get to see a little bit more of them and track data and in the few courses that they have played we've seen some course rotations and so if you miss the cut you might get one round of data in for the whole week so that's unfortunate but spencer break down your outrights and then go through the rest of your betting card for me for this week i thought it was an interesting betting board um i did have some value at the top that i did not eventually get to or inevitably get to on it so I have a group of long shot wagers here. I'm kind of still trying to figure out exactly how I want to parse together the top of this board. But I started with Rio Hisatsune at 50 to 1. That is more so fallen into the 40 to 45 to 1 range over the last 24 hours. We have seen a handful of quality results from him to begin his career, including a win in Europe toward the end of 2023. And then that 11th place finish to start 2024 at the American Express. While that latter was an event where fellow youngster Nick Dunlap eventually took down the title, 
my model has continued throughout, I mean, even preseason when I was running this at the end of December, uh, when I was having, like, I, I ran it out to 2,000 players trying to figure out if I could find any sleepers moving forward. Rio was the one youngster, he's 21 years old, that just continued to pop for me every single way that I ran the data. First place ranked for me in weighted scoring at Vedanta. That helped to create a golfer inside my sheet who landed as a top five win equity choice. Maybe that's a limited sample size where I've gotten an overblown answer here. And that's okay if that's what has happened here. But even when I regress some of the statistics for him, he's still graded as a golfer that should have been sub 40 to one. So I thought he was a very intriguing player if we're going to shoot for the upside here. And I think we can talk about this a little bit more also, Roberto. Because I think you brought up a really interesting thing about Vincent Norman that I'll get to when I get to some of these placement wagers. But I think understanding the market that you're betting some of these golfers for and trying to find the right, either it's matchup or the right area to fit them in. I, I think Rio's a really intriguing outright potential here to where we have seen this historically where there are golfers that are very young that have possessed more upside than maybe we realized at the time. I think mm -hmm. this might be one of these positions for him. Took Sam Stevens at 90 to one. That has moved more into the 70, 75 to one range. I, I think if the bomb and gouge narrative was the singular item to point toward, it would be one thing to discuss here, but it was really intriguing and too intriguing, frankly, for me to ignore a profile where we also got an informed golfer who happens to excel with his long iron proximity. So when I placed an equal weight for distance and proximity for 175 plus yards, I'm essentially trying to find what golfers at Vedanta can fit that mold the best. He placed six for me this week. Now there's a golfer there in Parker Cootie who landed in the top six who was above him. That's limited sample sizes that we're talking about where there's certain situations that I don't necessarily trust that return. But I do think it's worth noting and looking into when you have a golfer over 100 to 1. But the other golfers on that mix, Hoygaard, Finau, Jaeger, Thompson. So you're essentially looking at the four favorites mixed in with Stevens, mixed in with Parker Cootie, where uh, that's the reason why I took Stevens at 90 to 1. It's also the reason why I took Parker Cootie at 125 to 1. As I said, not a ton of data in the situation for me to feel comfortable, but it does appear like a ball striking course like we're going to get here will reduce some of those putting returns that uh, we have gotten. So top 10 in my model, uh, when we look at both driving and approach numbers outside of the top 90 for putting, uh, I think there's an opportunity for one of these younger players to make a massive statement in Mexico. It's going to end up changing the entire trajectory of their season. I don't know if Cootie's going to necessarily be the one that takes that step, but thought it's a hundred to one plus choice. He was very intriguing. And then I wrapped up my card with Nate Lashley at 90 to one. Um, I think this is kind of the Vincent Norman discussion that we're having. And I think Nate Lashley fits this also for a top 10. So there are certain golfers, Lashley and Norman were probably two on the high end of that inside of my model where if you're going to bet them, I think betting them as a top 40 bet is not the ideal way to go. I think there's too much volatility. I think you end up having too much exposure on the wager. I think when they hit, they hit big. And I think when they bust, they miss the cut in horrible fashion. And I think Lashley is a name that has that potential that to go either way with that. I think Vincent Norman is the same kind of golfer here to where if he puts the pieces together, that top 10 outright sort of a wager is where the value comes into play. If Lashley ends up coming in last place here for me, I'm not going to be shocked, but the ball striking numbers loved him. I thought this was a way to get really cheap exposure to him in the outright market. And kind of, as I talked about, there are ways to bet this as a top 10 or to play this maybe a little bit more aggressively while still trying to figure out some sort of a, 
I guess capped ceiling would be the way to put it. It's just to me, the cap ceiling for Lashley would be bet him in the top 10. Don't bet him into the top 40. I wanted to touch on Parker Cootie, whom I also have a bet on outright this week. He, I found him at 110 to one out there. So be sure to shop around. I thought that price was too good to pass up looking at his ball striking. And he, so while I'm not going to trust the proximities for guys who have like four shots on a given proximity range, I can trust the ball speeds and the club head speed to know that these guys just move the ball far. And both Parker and his twin brother Pearson are have really impressive uh, ball speed and club head speed numbers. So these guys have the profile of guys who, if they are playing well, they can absolutely bomb the ball out there. And we know that golf's in their blood. Their grandfather, I think, won the Masters as well. And I'm very intrigued to see these guys. They're winners. They won a national championship at UT. I think Parker's the better golfer overall than Pearson. Um, just kind of anecdotally and from what I've seen in a limited sample size, Pearson did win last year on the Corn Ferry Tour, but Parker was a little bit more consistent. So I wanted to get a piece of Parker Cootie this week at 110 to 1. I'm also going to sprinkle a little escalator on him at 10 to 1 for a top 10 and 4 to 1 for a top 20. Just feel like this fits a bomber profile this week, and this might be the chance to get a leg up on him when we don't have another course that's going to really benefit the bombers like this um, that he'll really play in. I don't think he's going to – he probably won't qualify for the Arnold Palmer unless he wins this week. So unlikely that that happens, but that's a much stronger field. going to be tougher to get a top 10, top 20 for him in that field. Anyways, I like Parker Cootie a lot this week, and I think it's worth – sprinkling a little bit on that escalator to see how much upside he has mentioned Vincent Norman. I've also got him outright at 75 to one. And I have a sneaky little bet. That's going to look great until Thursday morning. I have, I think I mentioned it on the show a couple weeks ago. I have a future on Tony Fino to win this event at 16 to one. So I bet this a month, two months ago. Um, I just saw the spot on the schedule that this tournament was. And I figured nobody's going to play the week after Riviera when Pebble was a, was a signature event two weeks before that and a bunch of guys want to play in the WM as well and we're going to Florida next week I just thought it was a weird schedule spot where Finau and Rom have been the only two guys I think Rom was like plus 275 to win this event last year and there just was not a lot of talent in this field last year and I figured that might be the case again this year maybe they throw Scheffler in, in Rom's place or put another big name guy in there and they just didn't replace Rom which I'm pretty sur- surprised by but Nonetheless, got a lot of CLV on Tony Finau. Can't wait to watch him putt this week and tear my ticket to shreds. Uh, I'm not very optimistic about that. But it's, it looks great until Thursday morning. So I'll have a little fun with that before then. Fellas, I wanted to get your thoughts on one and done this week. Nick has basically moved into a tie with me in our little action network. 15 Getting hot. And done. Getting hot. Getting hot. He, I, I burned Scotty Scheffler last week. So after I watched a horrific putting performance last week, I did get to watch Tony Finau this week. So we're just, this is how I live. This is the life that I've chosen. Um, I, I don't know for one and done. I, I think I'm just not going to overthink this one. I'm just going to use Tony Finau because quite frankly, nobody else is within 1.5, 1.9 million. I don't remember what the number is outside of Nick and me. And I know Nick doesn't have Tony Finau available. And <laughs> the, the other person that uh, I 
am very uh, nervous about in this pool is Spencer, who also does not have Tony Finau available because you guys both used Shocker. him. At, <laughs> you guys both used him at Torrey Pines. So everybody else might use Tony Finau in the pool, but I know you guys can't. So I'm probably going to use Tony Finau. I have, and I've complained about this almost every single week that we've done this show. If you would take my 1B choice to my 1A choice, that was the eventual pick. Like, it came down to either Hovland or Cantlay last week. I rolled with Hovland, and I mean, Hovland earned me 200-something thousand, but Cantlay ends up making that from, like, 50-something feet on the final hole after taking what looked like a win into a thing that looked like it was going to come outside the top five, and then all of a sudden he earns all of the extra money at the end there. I was not very happy about that finish I left. I think I've probably left, I don't know, Roberto, $2 million on the table from just picking like the wrong choice between the two. I'm probably going to play Hoygaard. Um, that would that seems to be the most logical place to go here. Um, the only answer that I would give is that if you believe, then my model does believe this to potentially be an answer. If Hoygaard becomes what I think is possible, this could be too low of a spot for him. Like there might be a better spot to try to play him at at some point um that would be my only concern if it's not him it's probably rio i guess what would be among your considerations for that spot to use hoy guard later in the season i i would think like something like i mean like a player's championship or something could be very fun for him like just go like maximum oh, wow. with it like all the way to the top when when i ran numbers and this was one of the things i was talking about and he has to get into some of these bigger events and like that one is going to be one that he can get himself into but uh when i ran my numbers he was a top 15 or 16 player in pretty much all iterations of how i ran the sheet entering the season like i have massive upside expectations for him like even more so than the upside expectations that I had for Finau, uh, which is maybe one of the mm. reasons why I decided to use Finau in the capacity that I did. That might be one way to look at it. The other way is I'm an addict that just has to play Tony Finau every single week. But uh, I, I think Hoygaard has a lot of interesting potential moving forward. And uh, even if it's not here, like, because that's the thing to me. If people don't play Finau, the next potential play to them is probably going to be Hoygaard. I would think like, I think those are going to be the two highest on players where people are not trying to go super low down the board. Maybe that's a reason to use Sam Stevens. Maybe that's a reason to use even deeper than that. Like I, I think all cards are on the table this week. It just depends on if you can find a secondary spot to use some of these names. And I think for you, Roberto, Finau's no longer in a position to where he must be used in the bigger events. And I think that's something that we talked about. So if you have a player who's outside the top 20 in the rankings, and now you have a tournament where there's no other event this entire year. He's going to be sub 10 to one to win the tournament. It makes a lot of sense. I think there's a nice safety return for him. Um, but I, I don't know. I haven't made a decision yet. I also have never told the truth on this show. I I think I've bluffed my way through it. And then I bluff so much. I bluff myself at the end. I'm also very intrigued by Steven Yeager, of course. That, that's true. Yes, that's a, that's a great one too. Yeah. I was either Yeager or Stevens. I don't think I'm going to get there on the, on the Rio thing, but I will, uh, as of now, Roberto, in all honesty, that is my locked-in player for our contest is Steven Yeager. I like that play. I like that play. If I didn't have Finau available, I would I would probably go with Yeager um, with Hoygaard a close third. But I, uh, I'm i very intrigued by those guys. So, Nick, I know you got to run. You guys are in the – what round of the playoffs are you guys in? Right now, we are in the sectional semifinals. So three more wins and we will have a state tournament 
to go right. down to at my alma mater, the Harvard of the Midwest, Illinois State University. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think that, you know, if I were to handicap it a little bit, I think every game that we may or may not have from here on out, we should be within a five to six point underdog or favorite. So it, it'll be very tight basketball going out here. Awesome. Well, a good coach will get you an advantage on some of those ATOs, everything. So good luck. Uh, and <laughs> Thank you guys. we hope we get to see you guys at state in a few weeks. Thanks. Take care. Good luck this week. All right. Take care, Nick Spencer. Let's hop into our rapid fire. Unless there are any other plays that you had on your card. Yeah, there's one that I forgot to mention. Um, you're going to have to price search for this, but there is a number on Sam Stevens to come top 20 at plus 345. That is about 100 points larger than the rest of the market right now. So I think that's a nice value grab spot on a golfer in Stevens that I, I've obviously talked about why I love his upside potential for what he brings from a distance and weighted proximity answer. Um, if you look at what he's done at some of these sharper locations and these sharper books out there, I mean, this is a name that he's a favorite in almost every single matchup. He has moved into the 50 to 60 to one range at a lot of shops out there to win this tournament. I think all of those answers are credible moves. And it's one of the reasons why he was a top 10 projected win equity candidate inside of my model. So I'm going to trust some of that. It's going to be a very small exposure for me. It'll be 0.3 units there. Um, don't need to risk much to take some of some sort of a chance there. But I, I think Roberto, that's how you and I like building our card inside these placement markets, maybe more so than most people. Like uh, we, we grab some of these deep shots, like a Vincent Norman to land a top 10, uh, a Sam Stevens here at a little less than four to one. And if the pieces crumble, obviously you end up losing the bet. And that that's one of the things that comes into play, but you're also not risking a unit and a half laying minus 150 to try to win a unit there. Like there's, there's a much different build and a much more advantageous way to go about a lot of these things. And for me, it's like as small as I can keep that exposure in some of these placement markets is usually where the ROI increases for me and my bankroll sees the biggest increase over time. So uh, just being very selective inside that placement market, it's about one play a week and that's going to be the one play I'm going for. I like it. I really like and these lesser fields when there are more spots available in those top 10s and 20s shooting for a little bit of upside as well. Uh, so very excited to see how some of our upside swings this week turn out like uh, Cootie and Norman. But as a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. That's why they get you more boosts than anyone else. Every day, they power up the odds on hundreds of bets to give you a chance to win more. Bet365 boosts specific markets, your winnings, and even parlays, and they don't stop there. Keep an eye out for their biggest and best odds with the incredible Super Boost. Check out the boost and see why it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older and present in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, or 18 and older in Kentucky. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. All right, Spencer. I had one bet that just missed my card. Alejandro Toasty minus 120 over Justin Suh. I wanted to fade Suh just because I don't really believe in his ball striking. I know that he's decently long and he's very putter reliant, and I don't think that it's safe to make a bet on someone who's putter reliant on these greens this week. I wanted to fade him. I just didn't have enough information to back Toasty. I like the 
ball speed, club head speed numbers for him. I like off the tee how he smashes it. He has course history here with a 10th place finish last year. The approach numbers just looked a little questionable, and we don't have that much data on him overall. So it was a pass for me, but that was one that I wanted to bet. Maybe I'll just sprinkle it with a little pizza money, but um, just for me to kind of keep an eye on him. But not an official bet that I've made this week. You have any thoughts on either of those two players? I think Toasty has a higher ceiling if you're looking directly at that. Um, Toasty's 27th in my model this week. Suh is 30th. So I think they're very similar in what, like, I think the price out there sounds fair at, at minus 110 or minus 120 either way on that. So probably be a, a void for me based off of that answer. But um, from a pure upside perspective, my model sees a bigger boost for Toasty there for whatever that's worth. Let's hop into how you feel on these guys as far as upside goes this week. We'll be pulling odds here from the Bet365 Enhanced Win market. Uh, I'll give you a second if you want to pull that up or wherever, if, if you want to pull that up or the each way betting, because I wanted to hear whom you thought has the longest odds this week that can still win the golf tournament. Uh, normally, you see guys who are in the 100 to 1 range this week be two or three, or even 400 to one in a normal tournament that they're in. So didn't think a lot of long shots made a ton of sense this week. There are a handful of guys whom I think can win like a Davis Riley, but his game has just been in the gutter this year. So I have no idea what to make of him, but I know he's going to pop out of it at some point, or he won't be on the PGA tour this season because it's been pretty rough. Um, looking through, I'll say, I'll say maybe, maybe Davis Riley at 165 is, the longest price golfer who can win this week. What do you, what do you think? I think that the pricing, like there's a lot of players, like I'll, I'll use a couple as examples here. Like I think a Joseph Bramlett is a very intriguing name, but all of a sudden you look at what his outright price actually is in the space and you realize, well, that number is not as deep as you would actually anticipate it being like, you can get a hundred to one. I think it did open a little bit higher than that. Uh, Parker Cootie would be another answer of that. Like a lot of these guys for me that I was hoping were going to be 250 to one to win this contest. I uh, ended up being priced like in Bramlett's position at a hundred to one. So I didn't end up on an outright ticket on them for that reason. Uh, Carson Young kind of carried a very similar perspective. Like a lot of those 90 to 120 to one guys uh, there, I guess I'll go though to the one answer that I gave earlier. Like you can find Ben Silverman out there at, 250 to one if you really shop around and you try to find a price um that's probably about the deepest that i would say that i would go um but for the most part a lot of those names that i found value on were a lot of those options in like the 90 to 120 range um at the end of the day gotcha i'm seeing silverman here on bet 365 at 225 i'll say maybe Calum taren can win also in that 225 to one range Boom or bust, at least. At least Boom he has bust. the upside potential. Like, my model never likes him, but there have been weeks over the past couple years to where you randomly look on the first page of the leaderboard and he's outside the top 100 in my model and he's inside the first page of the leaderboard. So when he hits, he hits in a big way. Um, maybe some of that win play can help him that he has, but I I, I don't know. Like, I, I do think that regardless of this being a situation where the bottom of this board and maybe the field in general is not as strong as you would want to see, I do think there's a significant drop-off more so than most weeks that occurs at a certain point on these boards. Like I could probably look and we're not going to name every single person here, but there's probably like 40 
plus names that I almost can just say have 0% win equity near the very bottom here. And that's not an answer that you would give on most weeks. So I think you're going to have to avoid some of that strength at the top. I know Nick talked about his love for Jaeger and I'm somebody that also likes Jaeger all the time. I think he's a very intriguing name. I think Davis Thompson's intriguing. I think Hoygaard and Finau are intriguing, but at a certain point, if those guys don't win, it does open it up for a lot of those 50 to 125 guys. So uh, that's kind of the range that I want to live in rather than just peppering the bottom of the board. Because if you look at a Jonathan Vegas, Roberto, I know this is a very long answer here that I'm giving, but if you look at Jonathan Vegas, look at where he was two weeks ago. (laughs) I got him at 450 to one. You're now sitting in a spot with Vegas where I love his upside, but he's 60 to one for the most part across the board. Like, that to me is unfortunately where this board fell apart. Ridiculous. I I know that you had the top 10, top 20 bet on Vegas as well. Um, so you hopped on him at the right time. And as a result, the price has changed. The field is very different. And I wanted to get into... Who you th- where at some of these drop offs? I think there's a big drop off after Jaeger in the top three that you mentioned with Hoygaard and Finau. Uh, getting onto those guys, would you rather have an outright ticket on Hoygaard at seventeen to one or Jaeger at twenty four? I'll take Hoygaard just because my model likes him so much. Like that to me, that if I was going to punch a ticket at the very top, it, it was Hoygaard. I love that his skill set that he brings for this course, and even when we were having this discussion or the community and. Twitter as a whole was having this discussion before, before after Zalatoris pulled out and and everything that was coming into play. And it was like, well, there's literally Tony Finau and no field around it. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I mean, I've already said it earlier in the show. I think Hoygaard's a legitimate top 20 player in the world. So uh, I don't think that this is a cakewalk at the top for Finau where he is just by far and away the best golfer. And, and I think if, even if you look at some of these matchups in the space, Hoygaard opened at like plus 175, plus 180 against Finau. Look at where that number is in the space now. It's down into like the plus 130s at a lot of shops. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's real credible movement that's occurring for Hoygaard for why I think that like it's it's Finau and Hoygaard as the two names to beat. And then probably that third range dips into the Davis Thompson and the Steven Yeager sort of golfers. I think that makes a lot of sense. And one thing that those three golfers at the top of the odds board have in common is they all murder the golf ball. And that normally plays when you think about bombers on the PGA tour, you think about Torrey Pines and all three of these guys had really strong performances at Torrey Pines. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they all do at another track where the bombers figure to have an edge. Emiliano Grillo is a guy who's had some success here. He's not a bomber, but he's 27 to one Keith Mitchell one of the best total drivers of the golf ball in the PGA Tour, also 27 to 1. And Thomas Dietrich, who's gone through a really nice run of play, also excelled at Torrey Pines as well. He's 27 to 1. Taylor Pendrith, a guy we talk about a lot on club down courses here on the PGA Tour, he's 27 to 1. He's still also a bomber. Among those four golfers at 27 to 1, which one would you most like to have a ticket on? I'm out on Grio this week. I think his price is far too shallow in, in any of those ranges of what we're talking about. Um, my model likes Pendrith the best. I think that that's probably the consensus answer that you would hear for most people in the space. Uh, negative trajectory inside of my model for Dietria. It's almost one of those situations to where 
until he can prove to me that he can win a golf tournament, I guess I would rather just be on the sidelines and wait for it to happen. Like anytime he gets close, he crumbles. And, and that's just the unfortunate situation for him. I think Mitchell is probably the intriguing one just because of the total driving that he brings to the table. Um, you talked about Pendrith being better at some of these club down courses and maybe that's what ends up coming into play. But as you said, I mean, he still has that prototypical distance that you would want. I thought he was an intriguing name, not necessarily at the price that you have to pay, but I understand why people are on him this week. Like my, my model also agreed with a lot of those returns. Getting into our next range of guys, we just mentioned Nikolai Hoygaard. His twin brother Rasmus recently played in the Ross Al Kaima Championship on the DP World Tour and finished second. He was six strokes behind the 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 winner of that tournament, Thorbjorn Olesen, and. Olison, although he has not started on the PGA Tour since the Open Championship, he's here at 32 to 1 this week, coming off that win at the Ross Alcaima Championship. Has not made a start since then. That was last week of January. Gone through a really nice for nice couple months of form since October, where he's finished in the top 26 in eight straight events on the DP world tour also has a third place finish in the Nedbeck golf challenge where I believe Max Homa won in South Africa. He's 32 to one Eric Van Royen who won in Mexico. Last time the PJ tour was in Mexico is 34 to one Patrick Rogers is 35 to one Ryan Fox and Davis Thompson are both 38 to one. If I gave you a free ticket on any of these guys, Olison Van Royen Rogers Fox and Thompson, which one would you take Spencer? I'll take Thompson just because he is inside the top five of my model for projected win equity. I think if I removed him from the mix and talked about the other three players, surprisingly, I would probably go with Olison in this spot. Like, I don't love the price tags that that are currently out there right now on Van Royen um, or even, even Rogers for that answer. I think that they are far too shallow for their overall long-term skill set and trajectory that we have seen at least with Olison, like inside the top 10 of my model of all ways that I built it he did have negative uh leverage inside of my sheet when looking for upside so that would be like the one negative to throw into the mix there but once you get out of those first five guys Olison fit right into that sixth spot as the sixth most likely person to win this tournament um I don't know if that's more of a DFS answer than anything else potentially, because I do think he's going to go massively under-owned with some of the price tags that are out there. But I don't dislike Olison as much as most of the industry seems to. Like, I, it seems like everybody's just written him off that the price is way too shallow or way too expensive in certain areas of the market. I don't necessarily agree. I think this is a golfer that's bringing great form. And and I do think from a skill set perspective, he grades nicely for what we get here at Vedanta. I'm really excited to see Olison. He's one of those guys who was in the top 10 of the DP World Tour last year who got his PJ Tour card this year, and he just hasn't played yet. So interesting that he hasn't played. I'm going to be intrigued to see how he plays this week, and I wonder how much he's going to play going forward. Looking further down the odds board, we've got Brandon Wu, 45-1 to this week. Jake Knapp, another PJ Tour rookie who's 45-1, to also did very well at Torrey Pines a couple weeks ago. The Gim Reaper, Doug Gim, is 50 to 1. And your boy Rio is 50 to 1, but we're not going to talk about him because we've already mentioned him. So you got Brandon Wu, Jake Knack, Jake Knapp, and Doug Gim between 45 and 50 to 1. If you had to take a if you had a free ticket on one of those three guys, which one would you take, Spencer? 
that Brandon Wu price is is wild. Uh, it's a right. wild number, and I understand you look at the course history of a third and a second over the past two years. You throw this tournament, and courses matter, and that's the one thing I want to preface this with. But if you throw this course pretty much anywhere else, I think Brandon Wu is probably over 100 to 1. So uh, this is not necessarily the most predictive course that we have seen in both of the two stops that we've gotten here. It's on the bottom end of the totem pole there when you run some of these long-term projected stats out for what for rollover predictability here. So uh, Wu's going to be out for me. I always like Doug Gim. I think Doug Gim's ball striking and the form that he's bringing is certainly intriguing. I guess the consensus answer that I've just given over and over and over again, though, and this is why I will go with Jake Knapp here, is I am very intrigued on some of these players that have limited starts on the PGA Tour that my model does like. We can make the argument that there's not enough data for me to feel super comfortable in some of these spots, but I would rather bet on some of those, I don't want to call them unknown commodities, but I guess like the ceiling for Knapp is much more of an unknown commodity at this point than any of the other golfers. Like if Knapp ends up working himself into being a top X player in the world, whatever that number ends up being, I think that ceiling potential is probably higher than everybody else. So it's why I liked Rio. It's why I think Knapp has some intrigue. I don't have a problem with anybody that backed Gim. I think he has the ball striking metrics that you want, but uh, I'll, I'll rank it Knapp, Gim, and then Brandon Wu. If he beats me, he beats me. Like I, if it's going to be a course history answer, like I'll let him beat me every single day. He's somebody whom... I wanted to take on in a matchup this week and I just haven't found the right one. Yeah, same. But uh, we'll see if anything opens up within the tournament. Uh, as I know you've monitored that market a lot more closely than I have and you found a lot more value in there uh, after maybe some overreactions from the books day to day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the number one thing that we talk about and I talk about every single week when I do the Action Network articles. It's very important to where um, we've gotten this narrative that's kind of been spread in the space and, and it's... It's that over projection or it's that over, it's that movement that goes too extreme. It's like somebody sees something happen and a golfer gained X amount of strokes with this portion of his game. Well, now he must do that again. And, and I tend to think that like when you look at my model after round one, the majority of my weight that is being attached there is still from a pre-tournament answer. I do slowly infuse in the round one statistics, but it's never going to take this massive movement to where it's like, whoever the player is, we can use Doug Gim for this example. Well, let's not use Doug Gim. Let me use somebody that my model doesn't like as much. Like, let's say, let's just say Mackenzie Hughes. I think he's the prime example since I've talked about him in a negative fashion quite a bit. Mackenzie Hughes goes out on Thursday and he gains three strokes off the tee and two shots with his irons and he leads... He puts together, he's in first place and he puts together the number one ball striking round of the the of the day. It's going to make him better than he was in my sheet, but it's not going to look at this and say, this is what should be projected moving forward with Mackenzie Hughes. In. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the one mistake is that better see that and go, this guy is in form right now. This is a player who's putting the pieces together where if my model didn't like him from the two-year running perspective, like why is it going to change everything after one round? So... I think that just be very cautious with your moves when you're running a model, be very cautious of how quickly you infuse in some of that data. Like it should be a slow infusion. It shouldn't be that all of the bulk of the stats that come into play just hit right away. And in addition to having your model, you can just say, Hey, I believe in this guy. He's been a good long iron player on the PGA tour for this long. His numbers aren't here this week, but the price is right. And even if, 
there's no momentum, if numbers aren't great, it works both ways. Have, yes. Yeah. You can look the other way and maybe the book's overreacting to the data. Um, yes. Spencer wanted to get your, wanted you to tell me where we can find your work this week. We know you've got the in tournament articles for Action Network. You've got Better Golf podcasts this week as well. What else you got? Yeah, you can. I will have an Action Network outright article that I will write on Wednesday. Uh, that will be on the website. We'll talk about where the best values are currently sitting in the market, where some of the sharp money has hit early in the week. Talk about the bets that we've discussed on the show. I'll go a little bit more in depth with some other reasons why I like those players. Uh, it's always a very intriguing article to try to find value, though, that's still left in the space because. As we talk about Roberto, once a number goes stale, there's no point in talking about it. Like it's it's one of the reasons why you have to be on top of these things and you have to be aware of movement that's going to occur. So we'll we'll do that tomorrow. I will have the in-tournament bets that you talked about during the weekend over at Action. Those have been thriving so far this season. Uh, the the pre-tournament head-to-heads have even been doing better than that. So unfortunately, that was the real overhues play. I, I talked about Ekrote potentially overhues as a secondary route to go, but We'll have all those in-tournament options, a lot of these names that we talked about of potentially fading there. And then uh, you can find my model over at Rotoball. There's, you know, tons of categories and tons of statistics of how you can either look to see how I have everybody weighed and ranks for the week, or you can make a copy of the sheet and weigh the data yourself to create your own model. So uh, that's one of my favorite portions of the model is that it has user customization to it, to where a user can go through. And if you disagree and you think that, strokes gained or driving distance. Let's say if you think that that should be a bigger weight that I've attached, you have the potential to do that. So if you're not doing that yet, consider checking out my model over at Rotopolar. It is an awesome resource that I look at every week. So I highly recommend checking that out and following all of Spencer's work. Spencer, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. I know you're not feeling hundred percent this week, but hope you feel better. And big thanks to you for being here as always. Um, also fill us in on what happened at the, um, convention you were at last week oh i i got false information there roberto we lost to action network and everything ah. across the board with it all the action network writers and and the team as a whole uh seemed to win pretty much every single award so congratulations to matt mitchell and scott and, and everybody that scott was down there i got to meet him super nice guy um you know action network is at the pinnacle of the space for a reason and uh you know, sometimes I think you you get information told to you one way and it, it doesn't end up coming to fruition with it. But it was a great conference at the end of the day, like met a lot of great people there, had some great discussions about the future of gambling and and really where things are going in the space. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So I'm a very competitive person. I don't like going to things and not winning, unfortunately, but uh, a great experience at the end of the day. Awesome. Well, hopefully, well, maybe one day we'll get Nick, Nick and me out there, too. That'll be cool. Um, thanks as always for your help this week, Spencer. It was a blast talking with you. Uh, once again, everybody check out our best bets podcast as well here on wherever you get your podcasts. You can find all of the golf information you want to find on a weekly basis on the action network.com, the action network app. we got the early outright article already out there. Jason Sobel has his mega guide. I know he's very bullish on Austin Eckroat and Keith Mitchell this week. We'll have our best bets later here on Tuesday night out. And then we got first round leader bets, price picks plays tomorrow. Spencer, you've got your article as well that comes out on Wednesday afternoon. So excited to read that. Thanks again for everybody who contributes to this podcast. Uh, thanks to Matt Mitchell 
and David Payne and Noah Niederhofer for helping us out on the production side, especially to Noah, who does all of the production of this specific show. Thanks to Nick for hopping on. Good luck to him and women's basketball team. And thanks to all you, the fans, for tuning into our show and helping make this possible. So thanks again to everybody out there. And here's to open. We hit the green down there in Puerto Vallarta. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.